This, this is the Our Auto Expert Podcast. Find us on air, online, on mobile, and on your smart speaker. Please subscribe at ourautoexpert.com. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Now, here's the host of Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Nick Miles. Welcome to this week's show. Boy, is it a packed show. But first of all, I probably should tell you that we are locally created, nationally celebrated from the northwest to the southeast. This is America's Car Radio Show. If it has a throttle, we'll feature it on air, online, on mobile, or on smart speaker. This is our auto expert. I'm your host, Nick Miles, along with Truck Girl Jen. Uh, Busy week, busy week to come. Lots of stuff going on. Uh, Fairly packed show for us, Jen. Uh, are you excited about today's show? I am. Good, because you put it together, so if you're not excited, we're in real trouble. <laughs> uh, we want to talk about some of the vehicles that have uh, been in my driveway uh, that I've been test driving. Um, interestingly enough, I am not always a big fan of uh, one of these car companies, mm-hmm. um, but I will tell you, I will buy this vehicle in a second if it appeared in the opportunity for me to purchase it for a good price. It's the new... Um, G- Arcadia. Uh, GMC Arcadia. <laughs> I wanted to say Traverse, but that's a, she- that's a Chevy. Yeah. GM- GMC Arcadia, but the 84 trim level. I have been saying for years that car companies are not responding to what people want. They want the Mad Max square, big, rugged, clad vehicle, blacked out. Uh, there's there's a big need for those. And every time the Land Rover comes out with a new Defender or somebody comes out with a new Bronco idea, those type of things unbelievable amount of interest it gets even car companies that have pulled out of the united states like suzuki come out with a little square boxy vehicle that's only available in the rest of the world except for the usa everyone in the usa goes nuts for it yet they don't bring them here and isn't that the jiminy the jiminy yes jiminy. i think it is the jimmy yeah. uh but the idea is that they don't think they can make a financial case out of it but this 84 is unbelievable arcadia 84 uh, i think its cousin is the blazer which is on the chevy side um the, i like the blazer i thought it was a little bit expensive mm-hmm. uh the 84 holy guacamole <laughs> i would buy this vehicle i really it was like, very comfortable i really do like it as well mm-hmm. uh, i've also been driving the the gx uh, the lexus gx interesting enough i have a 2016 in my stable which i own or oh, i i kind of own the dogs own it. Um, <laughs> I have to perfect. have a dog. I have to have a dog transportation vehicle. It's very reliable. It's a great vehicle. You can buy them extremely uh, well priced. Yeah, the rescue mobile you have, the I dogs have, can't get in yeah. it. <laughs> so there's the animal rescue rig, which has a six and a half inch list on it. Lift on it, really high. Uh, great rescue vehicle, but not great for transporting animals around. Then there is also. Um, the other, the, the AT4 I've been driving, the Arcadia, I've been driving Lexus GX and a Toyota Tundra. Mm-hmm. So I've got a lot of vehicles in the driveway this week, which are a bunch of fun. The new TRD Pro, by the way, um, and they come up with a new army green color. Uh, the one I have is in white, but they've come up with a new army green color from Toyota for 2020. I saw and that. Everybody is quivering about it. They love that army green color. Mm-hmm. Um, they came out with a concrete color two years ago. I think sand last. No, sand two years ago. Concrete last year, and army green is a new color this year. 
Toyota are nailing it with their colors, their color palettes. Their new color palettes is exactly what people want. Everybody, you don't like them? No, I, I like them. They're just, they're just very. If, it, if it's not black or yellow, you're not into it. <laughs> yeah. It's a steal of colors, right? Exactly. Did you, by the way, did you see the new Carhartt Silverado? No. Oh, yes, I did. Did yeah, you? Okay. SEMA. Yes, at SEMA. SEMA. Yeah. I'm so excited to see the colors. <laughs> Black and yellow. <laughs> sad. Oh, okay. Really sad. What mm. happened at SEMA this year? Well, uh, I was there. SEMA is a show. If you're not familiar with it and you're just tuning in, welcome to our auto expert. If you're not familiar with the SEMA show, it is the aftermarket show where you can only get in if you're A, a member of the B, or I guess A, you, uh, you are a shop or a business that deals with aftermarket car parts. I'll be the media. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of guys walking around there that do custom builds. There is an amazing story that we're talking about that happened at this year's scene. Amazing story that got captured on by the police. And, and just, we're not going to blow it. Mike Quiddell, who is the other half of our auto expert, is going to join us. He's in Tennessee today. And he's going to join us on the phone to tell us about what uh, what was on the floor at SEMA. But there was just a lot of great stuff, a lot of great stuff from Ram, from Jeep, from Dodge. There was a lot of great stuff from uh, Toyota. They had Supras there that were maxed out to 500 horsepower, 750 horsepower. They had the GT4, which is the car which only is, is actually illegal for the street. <laughs> it's only legal to drive on a track. Uh, so we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the new movie that's coming up, which is Ford versus Ferrari. This is a true American hero story. It's a grab your heart and squeeze it story. It's an amazing story about how Ford fought back and Carroll Shelby fought back against Ferrari and won. And that was the birth of the GT car. The Ted Ryan from Ford is going to give us the background on the movie. Mini Takes Estates, which started in Portland, Oregon, in the Northwest last year, no, two years ago. And they have it every two years, but we had heard inside information they were canceling it for 2020. And we were uh, extremely sad about that just because they had some logistical problems in putting it on in 2020. But to many people's surprise, all they have announced so far is the dates. dates. Mm -hmm. We have the dates. Patrick McKenna will be joining us from uh, from Mini to talk about the dates and talk about Mini Takes the States, which is going to have every Mini owner excited. And how many have you been on? This two? will be my. I've been on two. Two. 2016, 2018. I will tell you, it kicked my backside. Yeah, I bet. Kicked my backside. This is two weeks of driving. It's eight hours to 10 hours a day. I, I can't tell you how it kicked my backside. Uh, so we're going to find out, and we only know the date so far, but Patrick's going to lay it out for us. What is Mini Texas Estates? How does it work? When will they announce the route? All that sort of stuff. Uh, Nexon, uh, who are the tire company, may be familiar with them. They have mm -hmm. a Nexon Hero truck, a Nexon Hero vehicle. It's a Jeep Wrangler. And they are going to give this away to a service person, somebody who not only has served their country, but serves their community. They have to be a, an honorary discharged veteran, and uh, they get that, uh, that truck. Uh, we'll tell you, if you know a veteran who deserves this, how they can drive away with that truck, uh, how they can be nominated. And we can talk to uh, Nexon and find out, Megan from Nexon joining us, find out who's won it in the past and how, what amazing individual they are by the way and what does the new truck look like it also has nexon's new cool tires on 
and I'm going to blow this a little bit too. Uh, spoiler alert, turn it down if you don't want to hear. The tires are reversible, so if you have them on different sides, they have different patterns on them. Really cool. <laughs> Plus Anton Warman joining us to talk about the scoop on Tesla. That's all coming up in Our Auto Expert as the show continues. OurAutoExpert.com You're listening to Our Auto Expert. Welcome back to the show. If you'd like to see previous episodes of our videos online or you want to listen to previous episodes of the show, our website, ourautoexpert.com. You can hear past shows, see the automotive videos, read inside a car, story. Is your monitor broken? It just shut off. While they're whacking it. In the there it goes. All right, there you go. Just checking. If you need me to whack something, just let me know. <laughs> Come on and whack something for you. Uh, read inside car stories about your next ride. You'll find it all at ourautoexpert.com. SEMA, as we talked about at the top of the show, just uh, just happened. And uh, we got to do a tour of the show. And uh, we did a Fox Sports show there airing this next few weeks. Uh, Mike Cordell joining us on the phone. And Mike's in Nashville. Uh, Mike and I toured the show floor, did a, a whole show from there. Uh, Mike, are your feet still sore? Well, my feet are fine, but I, I managed to pick up uh, a little bit of the Las Vegas crud while I was there. Uh, a little bit under the wet. A little bit under the weather. One hundred and sixty-one thousand people packed into a convention center. You're probably going to catch something. <laughs> That's what yeah, happens. There's plenty of hands to shake while you're on site, and plenty of cars to touch. I have a person that does that for me. Shakes people's hands. For me. <laughs> it's not me either. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what uh, what captured your imagination out of the show this year at SEMA? First of all, if you don't know what SEMA is, I should probably lay the groundwork out and explain what SEMA is. It's the aftermarket show that happens in Las Vegas every year, 161,000 people, uh, 3,000 products, uh, 1,500 special cars that are made and put together for this very event. Uh, unbelievable large amount of square feet, something like 44 million square feet. I don't know what it is. It's just It's big. It's in three halls. It's outside. There's lots of burning rubber. A Jen, napkin. Jen's drooling. Here's a napkin. <laughs> Jen's drooling a little bit. Um, and it's just an amazing, um, amazing show. So, what captured your imagination this year, Mike? Well, I think that the show itself, and as you know, Nick, it's one of my favorite shows that we do throughout the course of the year because it, it showcases the creativity in the auto industry. You know, we can go to a, a dealership and see some pretty cool cars, but. What happens when you take those cars at a dealership and you make them better, bigger, bolder, brighter, uh, sexier? And, and that's what SEMA really is. So I think this year, you know, there were some really cool standouts for me. Um, one, I would say at the production level, so cars that people can buy at dealerships. I love what Toyota did in their booth with the Supra. Instead of decorating their entire booth with all of the vehicles that Toyota owns, they went the route of the new Supra which was really kind of a, a kid rocket car back in the day with the old Supra. And when they brought it back, you know, this past year, they used their booth at SEMA as a jumping off point for, for showing off the coolness of that car with some pretty, pretty wicked paint job. That would be number one. And I think number two uh, for me at a personal level is uh, the fact that I'm a, a big Bronco enthusiast. Um, the new Bronco coming out this next year, they hadn't, Ford had an offsite program to show off their new racing Baja 1000 version, but that then transcended over to the convention center where I, I think I probably counted 100 early Broncos there on site, including 10 uh, in the Bronco, uh, Ford Bronco outside booth at the show. So those, those I think those are my two big, big, big winners this year. You got to go right in the new Bronco, right in the desert, the, uh, the, the Baja version? Yeah, so it was a... Uh, 
it was kind of a skunk works project. I, I got word uh, with a little bit of a secret invite about a week before. And uh, on the ride out there, we were told to meet kind of at, an, at a hotel location in the city on Monday pretty early. And then they bust us out there. And the buzz in the car, nobody really knew what it was or what we were going to see. So, yeah, I had a chance to take a ride in the all-new Baja 1000 Bronco. This this actually, this year, so 2019, commemorates the 50th anniversary of uh, off-road legend Rod Hall's victory in the Baja 1000 in a 1969 Ford Bronco. So there was a little bit of uh, little bit of interesting, you know, fun facts and history behind it. My son, just to share, uh, sends me a text after I, I sent him a picture of this Bronco R, and he said, Dad, you understand why they're calling it the Bronco and the R and Bronco is highlighted red. They're calling it the Bronco R. And I said, no, you tell me why. I said, it's not racing. That's just their way of saying that the Bronco Raptor's coming. I thought that was a pretty cool little note from a 12-year-old. <laughs> Definitely. He's, he's a bit of a, a car freak, your son. You've uh, bred him well. <laughs> I, I have. He's, he's, a, he's a car nut. Um, there was a story at this year's show, which was pretty heart-wrenching about uh, one of the displays that got destroyed before it actually got to the floor. That's correct, yeah. It was actually turned out to be uh, what was originally considered to be a, oh my gosh moment, this is not good, the car that we wanted to be in our booth uh, is not going to be here, to turning out to be not just an, a piece of news at SEMA, it ended up on news channels throughout the country, and that was a 2008 Dodge Challenger uh, that was sitting in a parking lot in the back of a, a car carrier, uh, and it was stolen out of the back of the car carrier, uh, taken on a 24-hour joyride around Las Vegas. At one point, there were 14 police vehicles in pursuit, and because it had 800 horsepower and a pro charger, supercharger under the hood, they couldn't catch it. The car was ditched. It was run into a police unit. Um, and then when they finally found the car, it had been, the front end had been pretty much ripped off. So when you add the fact that the car was stolen, recovered, they actually went as far as getting it released and getting it to the show on time in the booth in its current form. So it had a baby seat in the back, uh, some unmentionables. Uh, some, some McDonald's food in there and they put some yellow tape around it and they put it in the booth and it turned out to be one of the biggest news pieces of the show. This guy spent so many hours, money building this vehicle and end up getting it to the show. And it turns into be the biggest, biggest feature there. Yeah. What well, I can't imagine. I can't imagine going. I mean, I know what it's like when I put my cell phone down somewhere and I don't know where I put it. I can't imagine spending all that time on working on something which is going to be shown off to the public. And I know it was going to be in the Pro Charger booth. It was one of their vehicles. And then suddenly finding that it's it's over, you know, that's it's tragic. But at least they got the car back. Do you think it's repairable? So this is the this is yeah. So it's definitely repairable. And the, and the way the story goes is is like this for many of the companies that are at SEMA. Most of the vehicles that are in these show booths are not owned by that specific company, and they're actually not owned by the builder that gets it there. There's a person, that, a single person that owns the vehicle. So the owner of that, that vehicle gets wind two days before the show from the builder that his car was stolen. So, you know, your gut instinct is, man, that builder didn't do something right and didn't get the car there in place. And 
So you go through that entire process, and then all of a sudden the car gets into the snow. And as much as it's gut-wrenching, Nick, um, I'll tell you that if you're a builder at the show, your ability to take uh, a vehicle that was going to be built there at the show and then turn it into a big news, pro charger wins, the builder wins, the owner wins. Right. Right. Now, that's awesome. Uh, there was a lot of star power at this year's show as well. It seems that uh, people like Jesse James are coming in. There was a lot of people there showing off uh, products this year. So, you know, there's this show is the one that pulls out all the big names, right? And you expect to see some of those those names meandering around the show. This year you had Jay Leno showing off during a press conference an early Bronco. There you go. There's that theme. 700-plus horsepower early Bronco. Uh, over in the Toyota booth, you had Rutledge Wood, who's obviously known for his uh, on-track, uh, you know, on-track work with uh, broadcasting work with uh, NASCAR. Um, and then you sprinkle in just a handful of other people. Richard Rollins is meandering around, and then of course Jesse James uh, is there as well. Some, some names that might not be as forefront from a celebrity standpoint, but from a racing standpoint, uh, you had the likes of Bob Tasca from the NHRA. You had the entire Deegan family there, so. Uh, you saw Brian Deegan walking around with his daughter. You get those at SEMA, and that's what's what's really cool is that the one thing that unifies and unites us all are those four wheels. So you'll see people from all walks of life walking at the show. And the show, uh, do we have air dates yet for the Fox Sports show? I think the Fox Sports show, because the L.A. show is coming up in two weeks, I know that the air date needs to run pretty quick. I think we're going to be looking to see that Fox Sports show up in about a week and a half to two weeks. I know there's there's pressure to get it out because – we're starting the auto show season at the LA Auto Show here in two weeks. Yeah. All right. Mike Cadell from Our Auto Expert. Thanks so much. You can uh, contact Mike by going to the Facebook page or our webpage. It's always good to have Mike on. And I'll see you in LA in a couple of weeks, Mike. Coming up, we've still got a bunch more stuff on the show, including Ford versus Ferrari. You're listening to the Our Auto Expert podcast. On Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, start a conversation with us, ourautoexpert.com. LA Auto Show just around the corner. Lots of new cars, trucks, and SUVs going to be revealed for the first time to the world. One of those, the Audi e-tron Sportback. This is kind of the cool, sexy version of Audi's e-tron. Uh, Audi delved in, or the VW group as a whole, have really, really got themselves knee-high in the electric world. After Dieselgate scandal, they've started to push really strongly for uh, electric vehicles across the world. They have also have a network called Electrify America, which is going to put charging stations all over the United States. The sports bag is a coupish version of their SUV, the e-tron, expected uh, to have similar powertrain, if not identical. That means about 200 140 miles on the range. It'll have a 95 kilowatt battery electric motor in the front and the rear. Uh, the first drives will be coming very soon. Also, a vehicle that I've actually got to drive already, Jen. I'm allowed to say that now because I drove it in Germany earlier this year. Oh, wow. We get, need to get make a note. We need to invite these guys on the show. Maybe we can get them for next week. Someone from BMW. The BMW 2 Series Grand Coupe. So uh, the Grand Coupe is sort of an extended version of the 2 Series. Uh, it's a four-door 2 Series, one of the smallest cars that they make. They're doing an M version of the vehicle or a modified sport version of the vehicle, which is what I drove 
Loved it. Really want one next year. Uh, but of course, I'm not allowed any more cars in my house. I've been told off already. The <laughs> the Mini Cooper Works, uh, John Cooper Works CP. Uh, this top Mini Cooper Works will get the company's 300 horsepower, GP, the 300 horsepower powertrain, all of which will feed through front wheels in this Grand Prix edition of the vehicle. Looks uh, like the British in flag-inspired tailgates. Uh, that's coming as well. The Porsche Taycan 4S. That's expected to uh, hit LA. Uh, this is the Taycan, their electric vehicle. Uh, they're doing a 4S, a four-wheel drive electric version of this vehicle as well. Uh, that'll be hitting the streets of LA. RAV4 plug-in hybrid. Plug-in hybrid. We love the RAV4. But now yes. they're going to add in a plug-in hybrid as well. Um, so that uh, that's coming. It'll it'll have somewhat of uh, a similar structure to everything else, but it'll have that uh, plug-in hybrid version of the powertrain. And then at my house, I got a little box which arrived. I get uh, car companies tend to send me because you know we're on obviously Fox TV stations all over the country. Uh, we're on. Uh, different TV stations all over the country, uh, they send me all this stuff because they want us to be, and radio stations, of course. Mm-hmm. They send me all this stuff. Are you rolling your eyes at me? Mm-hmm. Okay. you got to show your toys. I want to play with them too. You, yeah, I don't think you want to play with this. Wait till I get to the punchline. <laughs> Just okay. hang on a second for the punchline here. Mm, sorry. Uh, so I get this box that comes. So car companies send me stuff all the time because they want me to talk about their product. Right. Which is, you know, fair enough. But I'm trying to weed, you know, get through the weeds and find stuff that's really interesting for the consumer. Mm-hmm. So I get this uh, this box at my house. It's about, I'd say, like eight inches by four inches. Open it up, and inside is a large wooden Mustang. So, like a tabletop Mustang, that's, yeah. you know, something that stands on on a tabletop. Just looks like the Ford one. So, Ford are introducing their Mark E, mm-hmm. which is going to be an SUV, something that is an ins- in- Mustang-inspired SUV, uh, but it's going to be all electric. And they're introducing that um, Sunday night of the LA show. So, in uh, just a week's time or so mm-hmm. um so we'll be able to see pictures of that we'll have video blah 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 all on the website ourautoexpert.com we'll have all the uh, inside dirty dirty facts about it um i don't think we'll get to drive it until next year but i'm pretty excited about it i already got people asking me to go to events next year like the ford super duty uh drive <laughs> like like already like january february People well, we sending me invitations. To, we just talked to Tom Sullivan. I know. Last it's week. Super duty manager. Super duty, duty man. manager. He's a, he's a super duty manager. <laughs> yeah. I am a super duty manager. Um, so, yeah, but I'm getting invites for things next year because people want me to come and talk about their products, which is all very honorable and very nice. But uh, we just hit November, everybody. Hello. <laughs> Four months away. Okay. Oh, that, like stuff for uh, first quarter already coming in. Now let's um, talk about the one I'm excited for. Well, the Aston Martin. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. D DBX. That's right. The DBX. All right, so the DBX is coming as well. Uh, this, I mean, we could talk about like four hours of stuff. That's I know. Out. The DBX, which is Aston Martin's first SUV. By the way, they also introduced a motorcycle this week. They did. Last week, yeah. Um, I need to talk to Merrick, uh, the designer of that, see if I could ride it. I don't want to own one because it's a thousand horsepower. And it's like you don't need that much. No, I don't know if is it a thousand horsepower. It's something ridiculous. It is ridiculous. No, it can't be that big. Um, I <laughs> I have to. I can't. I probably won't be able to reach the floor if I ride it. All right, Ford. <laughs> Coming up on the show, Ford versus Ferrari. 
Uh, we're going to find out all about that new movie. It's coming November 15th. The Academy Award winners Matt Damon and Christian Bale are in it. Mm-hmm. We'll talk to somebody from Ford. In fact, Ted Ryan coming up. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. Welcome back to Our Auto Expert, a locally created, nationally celebrated from the northwest and the southeast. This is America's Car Radio Show. It has a throttle. We'll feature it on air, online, on mobile speaker and smart speaker, on smart DJ. This is Our Auto Expert. I'm Nick Miles with Truck Girl Jen. We're talking about... Uh, the movie that's coming out very soon. Pretty excited about this. The film Ford versus Ferrari due in theaters uh, next week. And this is the Academy Award winning latest offering by Matt Damon and Christian Bale. Um, I can't tell you. I've watched a preview of this and I am already sold. I've had a couple of Fox TV stations that wanted me to come on and talk about the movie. Uh, joining us on the phone, our friend Ted Ryan, the historian from Ford. Ted, first of all, uh, you know, this is a big thumbs up to Ford because this is really uh, one of the things that established Ford, the Ford GT in the world, right? It is, and that's the one thing. I'm really excited about the movie. I haven't seen it yet, by the way. I, I want to see it. Uh, because it gives us a chance to spotlight this incredible chapter in Ford Motor Company history where with only three years to do it after Enzo Ferrari turned down a bid by the Ford Motor Company to buy, or to merge, not buy, in 1963, uh, ticked off Henry Ford II, and he said, okay, we're going to go beat him in his own game, and we did it in just three years. It's a fantastic story. By the way, I guess I just, yes, or two days ago, found the actual document, merger document in the archive. Uh, As an FYI, the company name was going to be called FIFO, F-E-F-O, if the merger had gone through. Are you going to make that uh, document public? I'm going to make as much as I can uh, public because we can't reveal all the terms. uh, But uh, uh, look look on our media site in the coming week. Will it be like um, anything to come out of the White House that's just mostly redacted and it's mostly black? <laughs> or will there be actually something on it? <laughs> no, you'll be able to see it. And, and uh, the, this week we're beefing up the media site. As part of the movie, we held a, a, a media event in the archives on Thursday. First time ever we've invited media into our space. We set up an exhibit. We have that document available. We have the telegram that went out announcing the cancellation of the merger. Uh, the GT program book from 1963. And the other thing, look, this week you're going to get the uh, photos of the original clays of the GT40 from 1963. Wow. And it's the merger crashed on May 22nd. We had the clays ready by June 13th. Wow. Just a few short weeks later. So we went into gear right away to try to, to beat Ferrari. So to give us sort of a painted, a paint, paint a picture of what was going on at that time. Uh, what was the year? Uh, what was the uh, idea? I mean, obviously racing sold cars. You know, you race on Sunday, sell on Monday. Uh, that was the idea behind it. So what, what was going on in the world? Where were we at with, uh, with cars? It's fascinating, too, because for the longest time, the automakers couldn't participate or chose not to participate in auto racing. Uh, but underneath, uh, the cover, they were all working on a little bit. Henry Ford II and Lee Iacocca came out. We were the first one to say, shoot, we're just going to race. So we established an IndyCar program, a NASCAR program, uh, and we went. We tried to merge with uh, Ferrari, in part because of the youthful image that racing gave. I mean, the GT40 effectively was a variation of the Mustang, and it was the same engineering team that, that did the two. 
so in that landscape, you had the Mustang coming out, the racing beginning, the Bronco comes out. It's quite a heyday for Ford and, and for you know for our efforts. After the failure, after the synopsis of the story, the merger fails. We develop a GT program. The Mark One comes out in 1964. It doesn't win. Doesn't even come close. The Mark X, which was a 65 car, that was the genius car. That was the car that had the 427 engine in it. Uh, Roy Lund, a noted Ford engineer, figured out how to fit that monster engine into a GT chassis, and they thought they had it. Ken Miles did the original test track driving on it, and 65, and he got out of the car, and he said, that's the car I want to drive at Le Mans. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that, that was in March of 65. They didn't have time to perfect the car, so 65, they didn't win. Henry Ford II gave everybody who worked on the program a card, and it said, you better win. That was their mission <laughs> statement for 66. That's awesome. And, yeah, you know, I don't think that'd fly today, but uh, <laughs> it did back then. We had Mose Nolan, one of the engineers who was actually in the pit from 66, was, was in the archives on Thursday, and he, he showed me the card, and he said, you know, I pretty much figured this was my performance review for that year. <laughs> you better win or else. That's, that, awesome. that's awesome. And then, so what happened in 66? Uh, reminders of the, of the when the car rolled out and how it did. In 66, it was the fully formed uh, GT40 Mark II, the 427 engine, the team at Shelby American with Ken Miles and Phil uh, Remington, and Holman and Moody. And I, I haven't seen a movie yet. I hope they get represented. Holman and Moody, the NASCAR team. So effectively, Ford set up two teams competing with each other. The Holman and Moody team got two cars, and the, the Shelby American team got two cars to, to work on. And then there were some other private entrants. Uh, the race finishes. Uh, Ford takes first, second, and third. Uh, uh, Bruce McLaren was in the number two car, which was deemed the winner. And uh, Ford uh, effectively finally beat Ferrari and, and settled that grudge. But we didn't stop there. We raced again in 67, 68, and 69, winning the races all, all of those years as well. So, and this was sort of the birth of the modern GT car, right? It is. And actually, it's an interesting factoid, but to, to race in the particular class that we were racing at, at Lamont, you had to have a production quality car. So there's 111 GTs, vintage GTs that are out there uh, that were sold to the general public. And when you see the GT program book, and I'm sorry I'm teasing you guys, look, look for the media <laughs> site on Monday or Tuesday, you'll see the design sketch from 63 and one of the design sketches, a driver's wearing a helmet, and the other one, the driver's wearing a fedora, because that was going to be the street version of the car. Awesome. Uh, we did the same, same thing in 2004 and 2016. Ford went back in 50 years to the day, won at Le Mans again in 2016. This time it's Bill Ford and Edsel Ford hoisting the trophy instead of Henry Ford II. But, and we had the street version of the GT out there now today. That it's, and that's pretty amazing. And of course, I have several friends that own them, and they're very proud of them. It's a, it's an incredible vehicle. Uh, the, you know, the movie is uh, is one of those things where he, I don't know how much Ford had to do with the movie, but quite often these guys they they sort of write rewrite history for the movie. Uh, did you in fact get your fingers in the pie on this, or did they take their own route and make a great story, but maybe not historically accurate? I haven't seen it, so I don't know how accurate. We did not have a role in it, although my archives did. We provided the production company with a number of still photographs of the race cars uh, and a number of still photos. I, I understand there's a scene that takes place at Ford headquarters. We provided those images uh, so they could try to recreate them. But the company didn't have any say in the movie. In fact, when you go watch the movie, you'll see on the number two car and the number one car, it'll say 
GT40 down in, uh, on the door, down at the lower part of the door. In real life, it actually said Ford there. But since Ford was not actively participating in the movie, they couldn't use our trademark there. Oh. Uh, so I, I hope it's a good movie. I, I'm excited about the movie because it highlights such an amazing chapter of Ford Motor Company history. And it gave the opportunity for, for us to, to celebrate the amazing engineers who worked both at Ford and at Shelby and at home in a movie. It was an amazing team. You know, Ferrari had three decades of experience and Ford managed to do it in three years. And you don't do that without having a fantastic team. The The movie itself, obviously, we'll have to wait until we can watch it to find out histor- how historically accurate it is. But when, and do you often provide uh, historical documents to movie companies? We do all the time. Uh, if the movie is in production and they need information to help uh, get a style of a car, get an interior of a car, we, we get, and we've got a lot of cool stuff in our archives. You ought to visit one day if you're ever in Dearborn. Do you want to know a paint color of a 1942 whatever? We call 42 is a bad example because we're going world time production. A 55 whatever, we'll have the actual paint chip so that you can match the color exactly. So. We provide that not only to the movies, but also to our own uh, teams internally uh, for for identification, for colors, for dates, engine sample size, you know, everything. We have all that information at our fingertips, and we provide it whenever required. You've reminded me of a couple of things here, but um, I will be there uh, December 16th, so maybe we can get some time together. The I do remember, now you sort of uh, mentioned it with paint chips, that there there was a project that you did at Ford a while back, which was that you um, took some paint off of the floors of some of the paint uh, booths at Ford that had been going for many, many years, and it sort of had layers and layers of each color. I think you made it into jewelry or something. I, I just did. It's called Fordite. Yes, it's Fordite. beautiful. And you'll, you'll see layer after layer, and it's like you cut a geode in half with all the beautiful uh, striations and the color patterns that are out there, and they did... They crafted uh, jewelry out of it. I got my wife a, uh, a pair of earrings in the shape of Michigan made out of Fordite. So it's beautiful stuff. So, That's awesome. so Ted, can you sit there with Fordite and can you go back through all the colors and name what year they were? Uh, I don't have that skill set. If you me long enough with my, with my guides, I can. You know, I was asked uh, color samples on Broncos from 66 and 67 the other day. And we have them. We can, we can go pull them. And the names are so fanciful. I mean, you know, it takes a lot of naming mojo to come up with something clever. But how many different ways can you say yellow? Right. <laughs> but they came up with a lot of them. Right. They're, I know that they, uh, the, some other car companies, I don't know how Ford names their colors, but some other car companies throw it out to employees, and employees can, can uh, name the colors, and then they pick what the best name is. And I, I have a friend who's an employee at another car company who, who one of his suggestions got picked. But it's probably much more technical at Ford. I'm sure they, uh, they use a much more technical thing apart from employees just coming up with uh, interesting names. Although no, I, they use everything. Although the, the joke at Ford is that naming is the sport of key. You want to be the one to, to, to oh, name really? the, the brand, model, or color. <laughs> I noticed that some car companies change the car, change names over years. Uh, the color doesn't change, but there was uh, orange creamsicle was one color, and it turned, and then they changed it the following year to Federation Orange, which I thought was <laughs> it's opposite. I think the one color that doesn't change, and particularly with Mustang, is Wimbledon White, because the original. 
that was the original Mustang color, Wimbledon White. And so the, that name has subsequently been used with Mustang throughout the years. Oh, yeah. uh, I, it would be interesting to go back through the archives, Ted, and look at uh, what colors were popular in what years. Um, what was the most popular, you know, color? And perhaps you could have a birth, a Ford, Ford car company birth color. So what was the most popular color in the your month of birth? Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> A little That's bit. a good idea. I like that one. Yeah. I like uh, Ford also do some research that uh, they put out every so often. It shows you what are the most popular colors in what state, apart from black, white, silver, and gray, because we always know that they will be the popular. But I think one year Mich- uh, it was uh, it was red in Michigan was the most popular, if you didn't count those four top colors, which was kind of interesting. Mm. That's like 2016 or 15, the last time I saw the survey from Ford. Let's get back to the movie a little bit. It's the Ford versus Ferrari movie. It comes out November 15th, uh, those type of things. Do you expect there'll be a surge in uh, in interest in the GT history, you know, of these vehicles? Will we see a bunch of books coming out? Will we see a bunch of people writing about the triumphs of 1966? I think that you will because it's a compelling story. There is nothing, which is why Hollywood chose this one. There is the story of, a spurned relationship in the case of Ford and Ferrari, uh, determination. You've got race cars. You've got you've got big personalities. You can't get a bigger personality out there than Leah Iacocca, Henry Ford II, and Carroll Shelby. I mean, they're they're monsters of the automobile industry, going head to head with Enzo Ferrari, uh, the magician uh, from Italy. And uh, you know, it's a compelling story. We've actually written a pretty thorough. We I wrote a pretty thorough history that's on our website. It said. Uh, Ford.corporate.com. All right, we'll go check it out. Ted Ryan from Ford. He is the historian for Ford Motor Company. It's great to talk to you, and I can't wait to see the movie when it comes out. Ford versus Ferrari. Our show continues here on Our Auto Expert. You're listening to the Our Auto Expert podcast. Catch up with previous episodes of the show on our website, ourautoexpert.com. You can hear all past shows, see our automotive videos, and read insider car stories at your next ride when it's coming to your house. When you're going to buy something, you can find out about it way before you put it in your driveway. You'll find it all at ourautoexpert.com. I've done the last two. And Mini takes the state. It's got my ass truly beat because it's a lot of driving. Uh, 3,000 um, miles. Uh, no, 3,000 people. It feels like 3,000 miles. It's so much fun when we do Mini takes the states. Um, I can't tell you how much fun it is to roll out of a small little town somewhere in America and have people lining the streets and there are thousands of minis uh, rolling out together. Yes. Didn't Megan go with you last year? Megan did a little bit of Mini takes the states last year. Uh, two years that? ago. I guess it's you know, yeah, two, two years last, year's, last year. Two year, two. Yeah, 2018. How was it? <laughs> it was <good. laughs> It's hard because it's every two years. I'm getting confused there for a second. Uh, so the, the vicious rumor was there was going to be no Mini Takes Estates 2020 because uh, Mini, uh, as we all know, are coming out with electric vehicle and it wouldn't probably have been the best vehicle to use on Mini Takes Estates because, you know, we were driving sometimes 400, 500 miles a day. Um, and uh, so that, and most electric cars don't go that far. Especially um, in the middle they have of to recha- Yeah, and recharging. Because and, yeah. imagine the logistical nightmare of trying to put that uh, whole thing together. What, so 200 people trying to use all the same plugins? Yes. <laughs> you have a power outage. Your plug-in time is 
goes from 11.01 to 11.03. Um, Rolling blackouts as many goes by. Or you could have probably, you know, you probably end up having to have diesel trucks out there to recharge them. But uh, so we were sort of expecting it not to happen. And much to the surprise, Mini announced Mini Takes the States 2020. We are 251 days, 20 hours and 51 minutes away from the beginning. And joining us on the phone... Our good friend, Pat McKenna from Mini. Uh, so, Pat, we're really glad you decided to do this, but that's all we know so far, right? Just uh, Mini Takes the States is coming back. Indeed. It's coming back, and, you know, the the rumors of it not coming back seems to always happen. So this is not just a first that people question whether it will be back in 2020, but people usually speculate over the years that it's not coming back and somehow it always does so this will be our eighth time wow. uh, we started back in 2006 and it's every other year we give people a year off to rest up as you we, said we uh, need it we need it yeah <laughs> it's it's one of the most fun things you could do that after the end of the you know the the event you almost can hardly walk because you're so exhausted but it's well it's like fun exhausted right it's like i would not trade this thing in for anything like that two weeks is probably one of or, you know it's close to two weeks uh one week plus is is just such an enjoyable event and and it's almost like i don't know high school reunion the first five years it's just so much fun to see all the people you see i mean i see people year after year and there's so many stories that go with it my most fascinating story pat and we've talked about this before but i, I so enjoy it is when you come to mini takes the states when you were on the product side you used to walk around looking to looking at some of the modifications to to try and work out what you wanted to do with minis in the future, right? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you have to think about it in terms of it's, when you add it all up, it's about 4,000 people. And, uh, you know, that's that's probably the best research money can buy is you're out with 4,000 of your closest customers uh, seeing, you know, how they modify their cars, what they like about them, what could we do better, so... Uh, and have a whole bunch of fun along the way, which is which is great. It's well, one reason why people buy a Mini is fun to drive. So this is like the perfect expression of that. It, and it's so much fun. It's like going on vacation with, you know, 4,000 of your closest friends. It really is a good time. Um, and, and then you get to sort of have lunch with different people. And, and, of course, there's a lot of British people there, which makes it even better because, uh, you know, we have all those people, that, <laughs> the expats that drive Minis and that type of thing uh and the, but there are minis from all over the world there's like guys who come from europe there's guys that spend uh last year i became really great friends with a lady whose son had to get like um i think something like uh, 500 miles of driver training in to be able to pass his driver's license in north carolina and he did it in the first like three days <laughs> it was great uh it was just really good i mean the stories are amazing what do we know about mini tech the states 2020 so a we know it's happening b we know the dates the dates are july 18th to 26th and i can't tell you the location okay uh but i can tell you if you were to look at all of the prior routes um just by doing some 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 searches um we're just gonna we're gonna cover a part of the country that we have not been in and that's usually how we approach it when we when we sit down to do the route we just look at a part of the country that maybe we haven't covered 
in the past. So that's all you'll get out of me today. It's a guarded secret. We're doing our due diligence. We typically drive the route. Um, and this year's theme is called Forge Your Own Path, which is we're going to try to take step backwards and let people kind of find their own way. We'll suggest different routes. Instead of being prescriptive and say it has to be this way, we're going to give people a little bit of flexibility and how they get from point A to point B. So is it going to be like you should do it like a rally kind of thing where you give hints and clues? and? Yeah, definitely a rally. And, um, you know, but we're not, you know, we tend to have a an official route. And people still will go off the official route. But this time I think we're going to go even a little bit more kind of hands-offs. Because what we found last time, and we modify it each time, when you take out a little bit of the structure, like that people don't have to be at a certain place in a certain time, I think that takes some of the pressure off and some of the anxiety out. It allows people to just relax a little bit more, that they don't have to be at a certain a certain place at a certain time. I think, by the way, Pat, that the rumors that it's never coming back is because it's all feared. You know, we're all so worried that it won't be happening, and we're also scared that we won't get these two years with all our mini cohorts and our mini friends. We're always so scared. Uh, last question for you, Pat. How does somebody keep track of Mini Takes Estates and find out what's happening when the announcements are made? So go to minitakesestates.com. You can find all the details there. But most important, you need to buy or lease a mini for Mini Takes Estates. All right. Cannot do it. show up there with a Ferrari. Yeah, do it by the end of the day, <laughs> and you'll be Pat's friend for absolutely ever. And I can tell you, after owning two minis, uh, I would own uh, many more because they are probably the most fun to drive cars. Mini more. Mini more. Mini more. Pa- Patrick McKenna from Mini, thank you so much. We look forward to look forward to getting all the updates on Mini Takes the States 2020, baby. Here it comes. You're listening to our Auto Expert. Welcome back to the show. Catch up with previous episodes of the show on our website, ourautoexpert.com. You can hear all the past shows, see our automotive videos, and read insider car stories about your next ride. You'll find it all at ourautoexpert.com. I've had an opportunity to see and uh, play with somewhat this next vehicle we're going to talk about. It's a vehicle put together by Nexon Tires USA, and what they are doing is honoring heroes, but far be it from me to tell you about it. Megan's joining us from Nexon to talk about the program, the hero program that they do. This is the second year and the third giveaway, right, Megan? Correct. Yes, it is. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the program and its history and uh, what you did in the first two uh, iterations of the giveaways. Uh, The first program was about this time last year, and it was called the American Muscle for American Heroes program. We gave away a Dodge Challenger, and it was to a Purple Heart recipient. The second version of the campaign, we changed the name to Nexon Hero, <coughs> excuse me, uh, and we decided to keep it with Purple Heart recipients, and we did a Jeep Gladiator. Gave that way in August, and this program, we're opening up to all veterans. So, obviously, a lot more opportunities to talk about who your hero is and hopefully nominate the best recipient. So, what makes uh, this year sort of different from the last two versions that you did? 
Uh, well, we wanted to make sure the program had legs to open up to heroes of all kinds. So obviously opening it up to all veterans uh, opens it up to a lot more nominations. We're hoping that people uh, go onto our website. It's Nixon, uh, <clears throat> Nixon Hero, excuse me, NixonTireUSA.com slash Nixon Hero. And you go on and you talk about whether what they did uh, in service or also what they're doing in their community today. So the last, let's talk about the first two people that won because uh, they were pretty outstanding individuals and these guys didn't just serve their country as veterans but they also served their community uh, post their service for their country. Absolutely. Uh, the first recipient, absolutely, and the second one, Brian Porter, uh, he's huge. He's in the North Carolina area. He's done so much within his community, still works within the military uh, after the, his service course, and he's just done incredible things uh, as a Purple Heart recipient and a veteran. He'd had some pretty rough times in the service because he got blown up, didn't he? He did, yes. Uh, he's been through so many surgeries. I Don't quote me, but I think it was his 32nd surgery he just completed. Um, and, and he's sort of had his face reconstructed. I know that he has to use a napkin now because they've uh, reconstructed his lower lip. And even after he got blown up, he went back again to uh, sort of almost get more punishment as well. Uh, he, this, this guy just kept turning up for, for work even after his explosion. And he also then now serves his local community. Yes, he does. Uh, and I don't think they, he looks at it as, you know, going back for more punishment, but that's definitely accurate. They, I mean, all of these nominees, they, they continue to contribute just because they feel the, the responsibility to give back to their community. And that's why it's important to next entire is to thank them because we want to showcase our appreciation of, for everything they do for, for the U.S., for, for us. And hopefully next entire can showcase a little bit, too, that we care and have similar values as well. Yeah, Brian Porter, to me, is it was one of those heart-wrenching uh, stories because you see, I mean, just how much he went through, and he kept going, and he kept going, and he kept supporting. And now, of course, his job uh, after the military was supporting other military families. So it's incredible. The Purple Heart Foundation, um, uh, along with Nexon, helps not just this person win a truck, but they do a lot more, don't they? They, they help donate money to those in need and you guys have sort of opened that up this year correct yes so that's the other difference of this third iteration of the program is next entire is matching donations up to thirty thousand dollars so again if you visit that same url nextentireusa.com slash nextenhero and make a donation on there next entire will match that donation uh, the proceeds of that go to National Service Officer Program, which last year helped 12,000 veterans receive nearly $200 million in VA medical benefits last year. So uh, an amazing program, regardless of whether you can nominate someone for, for a winner for the truck, uh, you can actually also um, donate money and help, uh, and, and Nexon Tire will actually go ahead and match that donation up to $30,000. I think that's pretty honorable as well. One of the things is, I'm not sure how many people have actually done this, but at the same time, uh, Nexon Tire didn't have to do this program. They're doing it because they want to honor uh, those people who have served our country. So thank you for doing that it's a pretty outstanding program let's talk a little bit about uh the truck itself because this or the the wrangler itself because this vehicle uh i got to see it in san diego pretty outstanding you guys have done an amazing job with it thank you so much yes it's a 2019 jeep wrangler unlimited rubicon fitted with the next entire rodian mtx extreme off-road tires 
Uh, we worked with All J Products in Big Bear, California for the build, and they helped us source some parts with Rugged Ridge to outfit it, and then we souped it up with a great next entire design to, to honor a veteran. Now, the the, the tires that are on this, uh, of course, Nex are known for their uh, all-terrain tires, but you've also, uh, what I love about these tires is, I was telling Jen before we got on the air, that the tires are reversible, so you can actually mount them in different ways to have a different pattern on the sidewall. Yeah, the dual sidewall nature is definitely one of one of the best attributes of this tire. So we have one side with claws or fangs, if you will, kind of showcasing how you can really grip the ground and grip the mud. Or you can go for the other sidewall, a little more subdued, but equally as awesome. Je- uh, Jen's just mouthing to me that she wants a set. I she need likes- a set for my truck. <laughs> <laughs> she likes the idea of that. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, how you enter the program, what you need to do, and, uh, and maybe somebody if you're thinking about somebody in your community who may be deserving of this, uh, what sort of qualities of a hero are Nexon looking for? Well, I mean, we're open up. We're open to hearing what you think this person did to make them your hero. Obviously, be a honorably discharged veteran to be qualified for the program. But talk about what they did in their service, or talk about what they are to you and your community. What did they do today to give back to? To people, small town, big town, whatever the case may be, we are open to hearing what your definition of a hero is. So visit the website. Um, you can put on a picture of your nominee, talk about what makes them your hero, and then the process of review is next entire works with the Purple Heart Foundation to review all the nominations, and then we will contact them early to mid-December and pick a winner. And the nominations close on December 3rd, right? Correct, yes. And so the December, you have to get that nomination in now. So you probably want to start thinking about it. Um, do you, when you contact them, you basically get to give them the vehicle. Uh, is it a surprise to them often when you contact them? Or do they already know uh, that somebody nominated? Did, did Brian Porter know that he got nominated? Yes. So when you nominate, um, you put in the nominee's email address as well. So they get a notification from us that lets them know they've been nominated. And, you know, some people, they, they'd rather stay under the radar and they think, think the recognition, but rather not be considered for, for the vehicle and for the win. Um, but some people, they're excited about the opportunity. Obviously, the Jeep is an amazing vehicle, so kind of just depends on how you feel about it. Of course, that just goes with a hero th- thing, though, isn't it? They, yeah. never, they never want to be identified. They always want to just do their service and slink away into the shadows. You almost have to grab them and bring them into the spotlight. So they'll find out when they win the truck uh, when? Uh, so we'll contact them. We program ends December 3rd. For about a week, week and a half, we'll go through the nominations, kind of depending on how many get we get, which we are anticipating quite a few. Uh, and then probably the week of December 11-ish, uh, we will pick a winner, we'll go through, the, obviously, the obligatory background checks, make sure everything is on the up and up. And then the week of December 16th, we'll, not, we'll announce the winner on television. That's awesome. Megan from Next Entire, thank you for joining us. This is a great program, and I can't tell you enough how uh, people should get uh, get involved in this. Nominate somebody. All you need to do is go to nextentireusa.com slash nextenhero. We'll also post that on our social media sites so you can find it easily there by going to any of the Our Auto Experts social media sites. You can go ahead and donate some money 
because that money will be matched. Uh, Nexon will match those donations up to $30,000 made exclusively at that website. You have to do it there, nexontireusa.com slash nexonhero. The opportunity to help some veterans and their families out is right in front of you. This holiday season, somebody will win that brand new Nexon Tire Hero Jeep Wrangler. And if you know somebody who deserves it, go ahead and make that nomination. Our auto expert continues. We're going to find out about the shenanigans at Tesla next. You're listening to the Our Auto Expert Podcast. Locally created, nationally celebrated from the northeast and the southwest. This is America's Car Radio Show. If it has a throttle, we'll feature it uh, on air, online, on mobile, or on smile speaker. This is our auto expert. I'm your host, Nick Miles, along with truck girl Jen in the studio today. Joining us on the phone, our independent analyst and investor, Anton Warman. You can read much of his stuff at Seeking Alpha or The Street. Uh, Anton, we got to spend some time together this week uh, driving the Jeep Wrangler diesel, or last week, I would say. Uh, and we got to talking, and I think we spent most of our trip talking together about the things that we talk together on the radio. So uh, hopefully we haven't blown all the subjects we like to talk <laughs> about, but there seems to be some action around Tesla announcing their new pickup truck on November 21st. That's right. So uh, this uh, product, which has been in the works for several years, I know the design team has been working on it since at least the summer of 2016, is finally going to be unveiled. Of course, you may recall that almost exactly to the day two years ago in November of 2017, Tesla held an event at which they unveiled two new products, the semi-truck, uh, that 80,000-pound creation, as well as the Roadster 2.0, the uh, replacement of that original Roadster. They were introduced two years ago, and of course, as of today, uh, those neither of those two products is anywhere near production. In fact, the company hasn't even begun to build a factory in which they could produce those products, let alone raising the amounts of money that it will, that it will take to build said factory. So when you see this Tesla pickup truck being unveiled here on November 21st, first realize that Tesla first needs to raise the money, then build a factory, and then develop the product. So uh, consider that to be at least three full years into the future, maybe four, until this product uh, is uh, available to the consumers on the street. Tesla seems to do what all of us are educated never to do in our lives, which is we never over-promise and under-deliver. We're always told to under-promise and over-deliver. How, how come they're getting away with this? I mean, we know that what's physically not possible is for them to do half the things that they promise to do. And then when they fall short, there always seems to be a long list of excuses. Well, Tesla is in a slightly different position than many other automakers. Other automakers are generally profitable, and they have a disciplined capital budget in which they take a certain percentage of their cash flow and they invest that amount of money into new factories and upgrades and so forth. Tesla is more of a company that lives hand-to-mouth, and they're also printing losses in a majority of their quarters. And as such, they are dependent on raising new money. So in order to raise new money, they must have a reason for raising new money. And therefore, they go out and announce all of these new products 
throwing them like spaghetti onto the kitchen wall, hoping that something is going to stick with respect to, to investor interest so they can go back and raise another billion or two or three that will then take them through the next, next cycle of, of development. So, therefore, Tesla is in a bit of a different position than uh, normal automakers that uh, go about this business. Let, I mean, let's talk about Tesla's business plan for the future. The, the Model S and the Model X are getting a little long in the tooth now, uh, and they've sort of relied on those as their core vehicles that they like to throw stats out with about how fast they do and all those type of things. Obviously, the biggest sales numbers comes from the Model 3, but... Uh, you know, they seem to exist on announcing fanciful things like pickup trucks, semi trucks, uh, you know, the new Model Y, these type of things. But what are they actually uh, what are they actually going to do in the future? Are they going to manage to just keep selling the, uh, the vehicles which are now getting a little long in the tooth or are they going to rely on these new announcements to be the bulk of their sales? Well, uh, the truth is somewhere in the middle. First of all, realize that the Model Y is on its way to production. The company obviously has produced a couple of dozens of units that are, uh, of course, being photographed all over the place, running around being uh, conducting testing as we speak. And at various points throughout 2020, especially during the first half, you're going to see a ramp up of production from uh, nearly standstill to uh, you know a couple of thousand units per uh, per week at some point before the year is over, and probably reach at, at some halfway decent level around the middle of the year. So some products are coming out there, and and let's not underestimate the fact that I think that this new pickup truck is probably going to be a very interestingly looking vehicle that is going to really pan the envelope for what could be done with a pickup truck. I have pretty high hopes for a design that they're going to come out with. And if Tesla is able to uh, generate a lot of interest in a lot of pre-orders, a lot of deposits, whatever you want to call them, then that will indeed open up their well-tried-and-true playbook of raising money against it and saying, wow, we're not going to use these $2 billion or whatever in order to build a factory where we will start building this pickup truck in 2022. All right. Anton Wallman's on the phone with us. He is an independent analyst and investor. Can't talk today. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, PHEVs and BEVs get cheaper, but it depends on where you live. We'll find out about that. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. Welcome back to the show. Uh, We can catch up on all the previous episodes of this radio show on our website at ourautoexpert.com. You can hear all the past shows, see our automotive videos, and read Inside a Car Stories at your next ride coming to your driveway very soon. It's all at ourautoexpert.com. You'll find them at the website. Anton Warman, still on the phone with us. He is an independent analyst and investor seeking alpha or the street is where you can read some of his stories. Germany increases the PHEV and BEV subscription subsidiaries starting January 1st. Uh, Does that affect the rest of the world or will we see Tesla manage to sell a whole bunch of cars in Germany but nowhere else? Yeah, it's a bit complex in Germany. Basically what they announced a few days ago was that uh, starting January 1st, uh, you're going to get a little bit more money in a de facto taxpayer subsidy whether you buy a pure electric car or a plug-in hybrid in Germany. So this should certainly stimulate demand for all kinds of these vehicles. The interesting part, about the single most interesting part about the new German subsidy scheme is that the difference in the subsidy between the pure electric subsidy and the plug-in hybrid one 
is very small. We're talking about a, a general order of a thousand or fifteen hundred euros, which means that for many people for whom a pure electric car may be a step too far, they may be uh, better off buying themselves a plug-in hybrid instead. And that is one of the key reasons why we have seen so many of the German automakers in particular. You look at the lineup that BMW is putting forward here, for example, for much of the next year or two. Um, it's very heavily dominant in the area of plug-in hybrids because they know that in Germany, people will say, all right, I'll forego that last 1,000 or 1,500 euro worth of a government subsidy in order to be able to have a car that I can choose how I fuel it somewhere between gasoline and electricity. You know, I'm thinking about uh, Europe and Europe tends to say sort of set the pace for the rest of the world in electric cars. Why is that? Because the Japanese companies tended tend to do a lot with electric cars. American companies are, you know, Tesla's based here, but Europe seems to sort of set the pace for the rest of the world. Well, what's going on is that most of these automakers, not all of them, but most of them, uh, they do have uh, direct sales into most countries around the world. There are various engagements with subsidiaries and joint ventures that do sell into all geographies of the world. And the various electric cars, subsidies, mandates, and other incentives do differ from geography to geography. China is right now talking about reducing their electric car subsidies yet again. They cut them in half on July 1st, and we saw that electric car sales in China fell by about a third in the third quarter as a result of these falling subsidies. Yet at the same time in Europe, the new mandate in Europe that requires the fleet-wide average mix to have a uh, emissions output measured by as, as measured in terms of CO2 uh, to be become very, very strict here starting January 1st. And as a result, they have to sell a very large portion of their fleet uh, as pure electric cars. That takes into effect here January 1st, and all of the automakers are therefore uh, lining up to increase the sales of their pure electric cars in Europe starting January 1st very, very significantly. So the landscape is about to change pretty dramatically, and I don't think it's exactly the case that Europe sets the tone for the rest of the world as opposed to Europe simply being a very large market for these vehicles, and regardless of what happens around the world, all the automakers at play in the European arena have to conform to these new rules that take into effect here on January 1st. Uh, there are obviously some trickle-down uh, economic effects to what happens in Europe. Is the main force for electric cars in Europe coming from uh, climate change, or is it coming from getting away from the economy of oil being uh, so having to import oil from foreign countries? The all of the rhetoric, like substantially a hundred percent of it, comes from the former, not the latter. All of the talk is because they think that. Uh, you know, buying uh, a new car is somehow going to change the weather. Uh, I mean, I swear to God, I'm not making this up. Uh, they actually think that this is going to happen. If you go out and buy a fancy new 5,000-pound car, and it's going to get warmer, colder, or somewhere in between, I'm not exactly sure. But uh, you'd be surprised. There are some people who actually believe this. And uh, they have so much political power, apparently, that they've been able to force legislation to this effect. And uh, I think they'll be uh, sorely... Um, 
uh, surprised to see that the weather may or may not be changing <laughs> in any direction, let alone in the direction that they may have wished yeah. as a result of any of this stuff. So the whole thing is crazy, but it is what it is, and uh, it is going to force an enormous supply of electric cars onto the European market, and that will reduce the prices of these electric cars dramatically. And, of course, the people who have to pay for this are the people who buy non-electric cars. And the estimates out there are right now that the average cost of a new vehicle in Europe is going to increase by uh, 2700 per unit. So you're going to see a price increase average across the board of 2700 which uh, last time I checked, the consumer didn't just suddenly end up with 2700 more in their pocket on an annualized basis, but rather uh, this is going to be uh, resulting in an overall reduction in the sales into the European market. And if you look at a 15 or maybe even a 20% decline in unit volume sales in Europe, and that could cause a continent-wide economic depression. So watch for this one. This is going to be a cold shower, the likes of which you've never seen, right in the face of these politicians that have created these rules and thinking somehow that the consumer is just going to sit there and pay 2700 more per car sold. Do you see a split coming for the the big nations or the big continents that uh, that purchase cars? Uh, United States just isn't in a position because of the distances that people have to drive and because of uh, the cross-country driving and just because of infrastructure being such a big country. I mean, you could fit, as example, the whole of the United Kingdom into Oregon, which is one of 11 states that are actually bigger than the whole of the United Kingdom. If, because the distances that you have to cover in the United States, you know, Electricity is not an option for everybody, and of course infrastructure is not there unless you're talking about specific cities and just driving within those cities, uh, whereas China and Europe are slightly different, different construction of the cities. Do you see there being a split, whereas uh, America is going to still be entirely or mostly gas-powered uh, country, uh, whereas Europe is going to push towards going towards electric, uh, an electric-powered uh, nation or European Union? Nick, that may in the end, in the longer run, be the result. But in the short term, this is dictated simply by legislation. And this is the battle we are now witnessing right here in the United States, in which the EPA had previously set these rules a couple of years ago that the fleet-wide average emissions uh, essentially would dictate a very high level of electrification in the U.S. fleet without necessarily spelling out how many pure electric cars there would need to be. But the estimates out there are that the increases in fuel economy that would be required by 2025 would increase the price of a U.S. car on average by $3,000, very close to the 2700 number I just gave you for Europe. So the two continents in that regard are not very far apart. This is what they're now bickering about because the new EPA regime is claiming that, wait a minute, uh, this is going to cause an enormous depression in the U.S. car market. And oh, by the way, it will reduce the replacement cycle of old cars, which will definitely not benefit the environment one bit. It would be counterproductive in that regard. So that's what they're now arguing about and which will be stuck in the courts and elsewhere for probably another couple of years to go. Uh, until uh, there is some resolution to this, I, I can't really tell you what will be the final result of it. But that is the that is the battle right now between the new EPA that wants to ensure that the prices on the average new car in the U.S. does not increase by approximately three thousand dollars to meet these new regulations by 2025, but rather that we should freeze 
the U.S. regulatory regime at the level that it will reach here in two years, in 2021, and keep it at that for at least another four years while we reevaluate and reassess the situation to see if the U.S. consumer can or want to afford far more expensive cars or not. In the meantime, the fact that the U.S. has longer driving distances at this point does not enter into the uh, equation at this point. Uh, recently, I got to go to Germany to drive the new uh, BMW 2 Series Grand Coupe, which is a vehicle which will be unveiled at the Los Angeles International Auto Show in the upcoming weeks. But while I was there, uh, there was some tech conferences going on at BMW headquarters in which one of the members of the BMW board said that the semi-truck, electric-only semi-truck, was fanciful. Uh, and it was almost impossible to have anything. The science just didn't exist to have an electric um, semi-truck to haul uh, that amount of weight and the batteries. But it doesn't seem like that it is fanciful for a hydrogen truck because uh, Hyundai are getting together with some other companies. They're pooling their resources to come up with a hydrogen uh, semi-truck. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, basically, the uh, semi-truck situation here is such that if you want to take these very, very heavy semi-trucks, 80,000 pounds, you essentially need uh, close to about 30,000 pounds worth of batteries to move this thing around these kinds of distances. And if you look at those numbers, 80,000 pound total weight of the entire truck and trailer combined, and 30,000 pounds of that need to be batteries? Well, that becomes entirely absurd. And as Hyundai has correctly pointed out, the only viable solution in terms of a uh, zero tailpipe emissions uh, uh, technology at that point is hydrogen fuel cell. So they were actually deploying now uh, well over a thousand trucks in Switzerland starting in early 2020 uh, in order to uh, essentially test this out over a five-year period. But that is what they were deploying over there, and uh, Toyota is trying a similar thing in California. So, uh, yeah, batteries in a very heavy vehicle that is going to travel long distances is simply not feasible. It's not feasible because of cost, but it's also, more importantly, not feasible simply because of the weight. The weight penalty makes the whole situation prohibitive, whereas the hydrogen fuel cell truck uh, makes it work. They're both electric, by the way. The question is just what is being used to generate the electricity. In the battery electric vehicle, it's a big, 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 very heavy battery. And in the hydrogen fuel cell vehicle, uh, it's hydrogen that it gets con uh, converted into electricity. Do you think that uh, this will have a spillover into pickup trucks and the hydrogen pickup trucks making more sense? Logically, that should be the case. And uh, the problem right now is that when it comes to these large uh, commercial semi-trucks, you typically have an easy deployment scenario in that they travel on known routes. So from the harbor of Long Beach, say, to a warehouse in up in Ontario, uh, California, which is uh, 50 miles away, they go forth and back, forth and back, forth and back, two or three or four times a day, and that's all they do. They don't go They don't go uh, floundering around the whole country. You don't need to uh, randomly put a, a fueling station somewhere 100 miles outside of Wichita, Kansas. So you don't have to worry about those scenarios. So when it comes to these large semi-trucks, hydrogen uh, fuel cell technology can be deployed with relative ease and speed if they just want to. That is far harder when it comes to personal uh, recreational vehicles where you don't know where Joseph Pack is going to want to go one day. He's going to want to go head out into the forest and shoot a duck one day and the next day he's going to want to go see Grandmine, Georgia. You just don't know and uh, you need to have tens of thousands of fueling stations for that to work. 
The hydrogen trucks, however, is, you know, by its very nature, hydrogen is a fairly light, and even though when you compress it and it becomes a liquid into a tank, it's still not as heavy as something like a battery. So presumably you can just increase the fuel tanks, right? Oh, we seem to have lost Anton. Well, that's strange. All right, Anton Wallman, our independent analyst and investor. Uh, he is, of course, on the street. You can read his stuff there, or you can also read it at Seeking Alpha, our auto expert at ourautoexpert.com. You've been listening to Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles. Find all the show episodes at ourautoexpert.com. Please follow us on all social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at ourautoexpert. And message us for a quick and witty response.